today on the podcast we have Alec, who shared his story when he visited our camp at Karakalinga near Adelaide. Alec's story is pretty remarkable, and it actually shows how, when you live your life with God, how amazing it can be. But when you turn from God and turn to this world, how destructive that can be to your life. It's a pretty remarkable story that involves drugs and violence and all sorts of craziness. But ultimately, when he turned back to God, how God changed his life dramatically. It's a pretty great story. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. God bless. Alec. Hello. How you going? I'm good. Cool. Enjoying the Christmas camp. How can you not enjoy Christmas camp? It's cracker, isn't it? Yeah. I've this... been enjoying it and the weather's been great. And the weather has been fantastic. Um, so you're from Bendigo? Yeah. Well, sort of. So you're from Bendigo, but also a bit of time in Adelaide, is that right? Yeah. Well, I was born in Adelaide Yeah. and spent the first 13 years in Adelaide yeah. with my parents. Yeah. And then they decided to move to Bendigo because yep. we had seven people in the family to sort of boost the numbers in the fellowship there. That would have almost like doubled Bendigo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was literally almost <laughs> a third of the assembly. I suppose... How long ago was that? So you're that, 22, I think yeah, you said now? Yeah, and I was yep. 13 at the time, yeah, so okay. it was like yeah. a bit over nine years. Yep. Okay, yeah. and so tell Thank us your you. story. All right, well, when my parents decided to move down to Bendigo, I think it was... You know, they said it was to help the fellowship, but it was also, I think they were trying to fix their marriage at the time, because oh, okay. from what I hear, it wasn't, you know, too good, but I think moving to Bendigo was that little bit of added stress that sort of broke into a lot of pieces. Did it? Yeah, right. But, um, you know, as a kid, I always was like, oh, yeah, you know, two lots of presents. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can be so material as kids, can't we? <laughs> yep. <laughs> but when it actually happens to you, you don't even think about the presence. Mm. And um, it hit me pretty hard just because, like, I saw, you know, my family just sort of fall apart. I've never seen my dad emotional before, besides when I received the Holy Spirit. Mm. Like, that was the only time I ever seen him cry, besides mm. this. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, when I was 11. Yeah. Cool. At a Christmas camp. Okay. Yeah, yes, right. like tomorrow. Oh, like, right. So yeah. it's your spiritual birthday soon. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yep. So that's, what, 11 years. It's a long time. But, um, yeah, after that, mum stopped going to the meetings because I think, like, you know, at that time, one of them sort of has to, especially in such a small fellowship. So mum stopped going and then, well, dad also stopped going. So they both went going, but I was the only one still going in the meetings at the time. So where are you and your siblings? So you... I'm the eldest eldest? of five, yeah. But then eventually I stopped going which was because both my parents were going, so I didn't have the motivation because I was only 13 years old. And I sort of, you know, started focusing more on school and got distracted with social media and all that goes with being, you know, a young teenager, caring about your appearance, caring about what other people think about you especially. Mm -hmm. So I tried to sort of hide the fact that I was a Christian like very much so like you literally could not tell the difference if I was like a Christian or not like people wouldn't have said I was Christian but then in trying to like mask my appearance I also sort of started believing the lie myself that I wasn't by the time I was 15 I started like going to parties with my friends because that's what all the cool kids were doing and I really wanted to be cool I wanted to be accepted and then they started like a couple of months later like they started smoking weed and I thought I'd join in on the smoking of the weed, I guess, at the time. So how old are you now? 15. 15, yep. Wow. Which is pretty young, which, you know, wasn't as young as my brother because 
stupidly enough, I thought, you know, it would be a genius idea to get my siblings not to tell me. Get them to smoke weed as well. <laughs> <laughs> so that if they tell me, I can tell on them. Oh, my goodness. One was 11 and one was 12. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I wasn't very smart when it came to that. Yeah. But wow. one of my brothers never touched drugs again. So it's good. You know, he's going to uni. He's all set. Obviously, he's not walking with God at the moment, but I know he will eventually. He's a smart kid. He'll figure it out. But, um, you know, they do say it's the gateway drug, and it is. Like, you know, once you've had that, you go, oh, you know, I can try something else now because that wasn't too bad. So by the time I was 17, I tried quite a few drugs and was working in a kitchen doing a school-based apprenticeship because all my friends were doing it. Like, I got pretty, like, uh, pressured into doing things, and I'd just say yes pretty easily. Like, yeah. I didn't want to be the person to say no ever. Yeah. Unless it was to my parents. Yeah. So um, I started working in the kitchen doing that, and my dad was still going to the meetings, and, like, he knew that I was smoking weed at home and stuff, but it just came to a point where I was having lots of people over in the shed, and it was just literally becoming a drug den. So... Dad, like, kicked me out. Like, it wasn't like, you know... He gave me many chances, but yeah. I just pushed him to the limit. Yeah. So um, I decided to move in with a manager from work, and he was what they call a functioning drug addict. Yeah. So he would wake up in the morning, do his ritual, yeah. go to work, go on break, do the same. And I just thought that was normal. Like, I worked with a lot of people, mm. and they all did the exact same thing. So, so I'm coming, we had a... I interviewed another guy a couple of episodes ago, exactly the same. He said he went to work constantly stoned. Yeah. 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 And um, so at this point, I was only smoking weed at work. And um, eventually, I decided after two years of working in that place, it was enough. Like, um, I tried to quit doing all that. Like, it wasn't really like I had withdrawals. It was more just the environment I was in. So I went down to Ballarat for a, a rehab so what did you try to quit? What what motivated you to try and quit? Uh, it was mum and dad at the time. Like, I still listened to what mum and dad had to say. Like, mum was pretty disappointed. She expected me to do a lot. Like, by then I'd finished year 12. Didn't... I just passed. Like, I didn't actually get enough to go to uni. So I was pretty down on the whole thing because mum... Like, I didn't really like disappointing mum. So None of us like disappointing our mums. Yeah, yeah. So I tried to go to this detox clinic in Ballarat for a while. Then when I got back the first day, again, started doing drugs just because of the people that I was with. I went and saw them, found myself stoned again, and it was, you know, not a very pleasant experience. At that time, I was still sort of like, you know, talking to God a bit, like, you know, every time I'd be in a... But I was just asking for things, really. I wasn't, you know... It wasn't a relationship. It was a one-way relationship, I guess, you know. That's a good description for it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I told Mum what happened, decided to move to Melbourne to get away from the drugs. Of course. Which is... Melbourne, the wholesome city that it is. Yes. You know, it, it was not... Um, <laughs> I say that because I lived there for 10 years, yeah. so I'm okay to say that. It wasn't a, a way to get away from the drugs. If anything, it was a way to find new drugs. Yeah. And um, I worked in this one kitchen and... Literally, my, like, job interview was doing cocaine. What? Yeah. My head chef was just a crazy guy. And within the first half an hour, he's like, so what drugs do you like? And I was like, I like weed. And he's like, weed? And 
pulled out his baggie and, you know, lined it all up and that was my job. He's like, if oh. you don't want to do it, then you can't work here. And at the time, I really needed a job. Yeah. I had a house sorted out. Yeah. So, I, you know, did that and one thing left to another. I found myself getting addicted to cocaine. Oh, good. And he'd feed it to everyone because he was a dealer. So, at work, we'd just work from 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night, straight, no breaks, which probably wasn't, like, the healthiest thing. But about after nine... Yeah, probably about nine months of that, I called mum for the first time. I hadn't spoken to my parents in that long because I was just too disappointed in what I'd done. Had a breakdown and packed all my stuff up and stacked it on my skateboards and <laughs> went on the train all the way back to Benigo. <laughs> and I had a goldfish tank on that on top of it all as well. Like that would have been an interesting side. Yeah. But, um... Then again, moved to mum's house, try to stop. Within two weeks, my brother Aaron had uh, started hanging out with me again and he was smoking weed. So again, I started doing drugs again. So all these times I've tried to stop on my own accord, but I just have had no power to do it. Yeah. And I wasn't like really addicted to anything per se. Like I just did it a lot and it still just sort of somehow found me up until I... Uh, punched the glass window and it was actually a church window so like there was a lot of repercussions for that I uh, cut straight through my arm straight down to the bone cut seven out of the 11 tendons and straight through my artery Whoa. and I almost bled out that day on the side of the road <laughs> I actually sort of accepted it like I was ready but then obviously God has other plans yeah so um I after that got pretty heavily into weed again so it wasn't like you know it was still not that bad, like weed's bad, but later on it was got a lot worse. I got into a terrible relationship at the time, like it was pretty poisonous, but again, I can't say no, so I couldn't break up with her just because she threatened to kill herself a few times and like wow. didn't want the blood on my hands because her yeah, dad yeah, committed suicide over the exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, so um, I moved to a pub and that's where it sort of, you know... It started getting bad, like, I've decided to hang out with this guy to go smoke some weed with him. He pulls out a crack pipe and, like, didn't say no, you know. My brain told me to say no. Your mouth saying yes. But my mouth said yes. Mm. So, um, I found myself doing that behind, like, you know, all my friends' backs. My mum and dad didn't know about it. My brother didn't know about it. The girlfriend at the time didn't know about it. Until... Like, I was living with my best friend at the time. Like, he's the reason I pretty much became a chef. That guy, like, he was a chef and he told me, oh, you know, we should be chefs and we'll go snowboarding on the Alps and all that. It sounded like a good idea at the time. Sounds amazing. Yeah. So um, we started living together, all three of us, and one day we had an argument and uh, she decided to pull out the card of, oh, well, then I guess you should know that I slept with your best friend five times. It, the girl didn't phase me too much, but, like, that guy, like, I really treated him like a brother, mm. like, you know. Yeah. But um, I guess, you know, because I was raised differently, I yeah. just had different expectations and people in the world different were a bit standards. different. Yeah. 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 So that caught me pretty hard and I found myself uh, doing a lot of ice yeah. because of that. Like, after that, I just didn't care about anything. I was living by myself, so no one got to see what I was doing, so... I just functioned on that for about a year before Aaron moved back. And I mean, like, I'd stay awake for seven days. What? And then have, like, 
f- four hours sleep yeah. and do it again. Mm. And my brain was starting to get real fried from it. Like, I'd see things that I knew weren't there. Like, I remember once at work, I was during the middle of service, and um, I saw my cat running on the roof upside down. And I was just like, oh, no, this is getting a bit much. But I couldn't, like, afford to pay, like, $700 a week just on drugs. So when Aaron moved down, we decided to start selling because... You know, my brother thinks he's all this big, strong, macho guy. Yeah. So, you know, everyone was scared of him as well. So yeah. it worked well. And for about six months, we started selling that. And we didn't realise how big it was going to get. Like, it became scary at that time because it wasn't just selling to, like, a few people. We were selling to the people that were selling drugs. And it became just... Like, he didn't work. He just sold drugs. I worked so that the government didn't, you know, go, where is all this money coming from? And I decided that, you know, I couldn't live with Aaron at the moment because I was on drugs. And he wasn't... He was sober the whole time. But I was on drugs, and it was starting to affect me. Like, we were getting into fights, and I just... He would just push my buttons because he didn't... He knew what I was doing, so he didn't like it. He was... Dealing, but he didn't like that you were using. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he just seen his, you know, brother that he put on a pedestal just yeah, deteriorate just rapidly. Trashed his life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, he was pretty annoyed about that, and I didn't like the fact that one of my family members saw how bad I'd gotten. So because I, by this stage, disconnected myself from every one of my family members. Like I didn't talk to them for about two years. Yeah. Right. And um, he moved out, but the funny thing is. He had his Bible with him, and he left his Bible at my house. Okay. So, like, because I'd stay awake for, like, seven days straight. Yep. What do you do for 24 hours of the day? You don't sleep, so... There's just... only so much social media you can <laughs> yeah, consume, right? exactly right. So I started reading the Bible. I didn't even get past Genesis. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I just keep reading it over and over again because your mind works a lot differently when you're on drugs. Mm. Like, it's um not a healthy position to be in. But... You know, I really liked the idea of the creation of the Earth and, well, like, I was telling all my friends about it. They're just like, oh, you're going crazy, Alec. But I think that's just because they didn't really like the idea of there being a God there because then there'd be, like, you know, consequences for their yeah. actions. There's accountability, isn't there? Yeah. If, if you finally admit it, there's a God, you actually feel yeah. accountable to do something about it. But within three days of Aaron moving out, like, people from Melbourne found out about my brother moving out because, like, by then we were actually quite large. In like, terms of the distri- your drug distribution? Yeah. Yeah. So we'd be going down to Melbourne and getting it and then bringing it back and distributing, distributing it there. But yeah, we okay. were... I don't know how, like, this particular group of people, I think they just have it out for a lot of, like, you know, privileged, I guess. Yeah. But while I was at work, because they all knew what time I finished, like, yeah. they would have sussed it out. Yeah. I got home after 2.30, because I was working at a cafe then. Got home and... Um, so these were the guys you were buying from? or these? No, I was selling to them. Right. So um, I got home and my whole house had been raided. And I think they took about $10,000 cash and six grand worth of drugs. And then all my belongings. They even took my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. Through that, I got quite a bit of debt with some of the guys because I hadn't fully... Like, I needed to give them that 10 grand, but I, I didn't see them at the time. 
So um, I accumulated $10,000 worth of debt with this one particular person because of that. And it was just really hard to deal with because I knew it was somebody that I knew and, like, I knew too many people at that stage and Aaron wouldn't help me because of the hard feelings of him getting kicked out. So I just was quite paranoid about it. I decided to buy security cameras, an alarm system, a guard dog. <laughs> you know, I was too stubborn to stop. Like, I was like, no, no, I'm not going to let them get to me kind of a thing. And then it was... I think a week later that I was laying in bed and somebody kicked in the door and these three guys with balaclavas and butcher knives came in but they yelled out police so like for the initial 30 seconds I thought the police were here and I was like I'm done I'm going to jail because I had a lot of ice in the house at the time and they walk into my bedroom and I, you know, make the recognition that police don't wear balaclavas. And they don't usually carry butcher's knives. <laughs> yeah, they might have weapons, at the state, like guns, but not not butcher knives. So I sort of scrambled to the door. And because I'm living by myself, like I left my phone on my bed. I couldn't call the cops, couldn't call my brother that lived down the road. So I was pretty much on my own. Obviously, I had God looking after me. And this is how I sort of got out of this one, I reckon, because... I have this bat, and usually it's in the lounge room for more just like when people come into the lounge room, like if someone tries to do something there, I've got this protection. But somehow I found it on the floor in front of my door in my bedroom as I was holding it shut, like the three guys were trying to push onto it. So I decided to grab that, and, you know, there's that whole fight-or-flight situation, and I decided to fight. And I swung once, like as I let the door fly open, one guy hit him. And then I just sort of black out. And all I know is that they were, like, the next thing I sort of look to is them reversing in their car, all these dints on the bat, and not a single scratch on me. Nothing was taken. And, like, I definitely know that the Lord had his hand over that one because they all had knives. And, like, I know they were trying to, like, physically harm me there. Mm. But um, after that, I, I just, I couldn't deal with being home like I'd sit there and I'd hear people in my roof I'd hear voices yeah. like it was starting the paranoia was really starting to kick yeah. in and I decided to have some prayer like for the first the first time in a very long time I decided to have some prayer about it because I, I thought my mind was sort of losing itself I guess and um my stepbrother decided to uh go to the snow in Mount Hotham in yep. Falls Creek yeah and he was just, he was really pestering me to go. And like, I didn't want to leave the house by itself, but I asked Aaron, you know, can you look after the house? And everyone was scared of my brother. So they wouldn't have come there if it was him. So he decided to look after it. And I, I um, went to the snow with my brother, stepbrother, sorry, because my, both my parents got remarried. And uh, while I was there, I was just thinking about like, all the things I'd done and, um, like, you know, whether God was real or, like, you know, if I really was just believing my own lies, like, you know, saying the Holy Spirit was a tongue twister. So I decided to have some prayer because we were there for a week and I'm not physically fit enough to snowboard the whole time, so I decided to stay back on the days by myself. Yeah. And I decided to have some prayer and I just felt like this overwhelming like you know weight being lifted off my shoulders and I just started crying that day like I hadn't cried for a very long time like you know I was that person that would just hold it in and just 
push it really, yeah. really deep, deep down. Hope and it just never comes back out. Hope it doesn't yeah. come back out, yeah. And um, So what were you crying about? Because I knew I was wrong. Yeah. I knew that all the things I'd done was wrong. All the times that I'd cursed God for certain things, like, I really did take it out on God. Like, I mean, like... As if it was all his fault. Yes. I, I literally blamed it on him, everything, you know. Oh, my parents are split up. I'm a drug addict. This is all your fault, you know. But I, I, know, I now know that that's not the case. And, and that's not unprecedented thinking, right? Other people have thought that through the years too, right? Yeah, well, I hope There's a few so. examples in the Bible of that as well. Mm. But um, I decided to look for a Bible there. Went to a bookshop, found a, a Bible, but... Again, it wasn't the whole Bible. It was literally just the book of Exodus I could find, which was just really weird. Bizarre. So I bought that anyway yeah. and started reading that, and I was just like going through all the stories, and I'm just like, wow, these people sort of went through a lot more than what I did, and I was just, you know, sort of intrigued by that. And by the time my friends got home, like I'd, like to, from the snow back to the caravan part... Um, I started talking to them about it. They was mocking me. And uh, they, again, went to the snow. I decided to stay back to read that book. And because um, my stepbrother didn't know that I was doing ice at the time, yeah. they told him, and he got so angry. So your other friends told your stepbrother that you were doing, doing ice? Doing ice, yeah, because yeah. they knew. Yeah. Because they asked for some. Yeah. They asked for it, and yet then they still told him that I did it. Yeah. So he decided to pack up his stuff and leave me there. He also took my shoes because they were in his car, my wallet and my phone by accident. Like, he didn't realise. You have a thing about people stealing your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously not meant to wear shoes. But, um, yeah, so I was pretty much looking like a crazy person on top of the mountain. Like, I went down to the police station and they honestly were just shocked that I didn't have a phone or a wallet or know how to contact anybody because I'm pretty terrible with phone numbers. Yeah. So I tracked down mum, got her to um, pick me up. And because of uh, the things that my mum did, like, I was still pretty, like, upset with her. I never... Like, I have now, but at that stage, I hadn't actually got over the fact that her and dad had split up. I uh, got her to pick me up, and it's a five-hour drive from Bendigo to Mount Hotham. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that I said to her was, you need to repent, because we're both wrong. <laughs> oh, you said that to her? Yeah. Okay. For the rest of the car trip, she didn't say a single word. Like, it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I think she was just, like... I. I think she wanted to think I went crazy because she actually went to Aaron. I think we need to put Alec in a psych ward. I think he's finally lost it. Wow. And, you know, she told Aaron to keep an eye on me, but yeah. Aaron saw the testimony in the fact that that day that I'd left Bright, I flushed all the drugs down the toilet. And, like, for, for me to do that was big because for the last five years I had done them every single day. Like, I was literally functioning on ice. Like, I had to take it to work and do it at work every two hours. Otherwise, I would just lose my temper. Whoa. It was like it became a routine. And I literally flushed it all down the toilet, broke all the instruments, and got home, disconnected myself from all those people for, like, well, this was, like, after a week. Stopped smoking cigarettes 
didn't have the urge to drink. Like, I was, like, anything that got my mind off of anything I would do. So I stopped all that. And, like, my brother saw that I was being serious. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, he was like, maybe we should start going to a church then, you know, if you actually... Because he was... So he wasn't going anywhere? No, no, he, yeah. he, he's, he was believing in the whole anarchy, the aliens control everything, and Christianity is just made up by the government to control the people. Right. So, um, you know, he, he saw the change, so we both decided to look for a church, and we went to the Jehovah's Witness Church. At the time, we didn't want to go back to the Revival Fellowship because we were too scared of judgment. And Yeah. And uh, so we went there and we realised that was the wrong church pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, you have to um, register how many hours of outreaching you do every week, which I just thought was a bit weird. And there's certain other things, like they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in hell. They have their own Bible. Uh, like, literally, they have their own version of the Bible and it has scriptures missing. Mm. And they reckon theirs is the most accurately translated Bible from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm. And me and Aaron were just sort of like, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, it doesn't. But like, and, it, and it doesn't line up with your personal experience about receiving the Holy Spirit either. Right? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And like, I asked them about it. And like, oh, some of us, some of us speak in tongues, but it's not a necessity. Yeah. You know, it's, you don't need it. Yeah. Because they think speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit are two different things. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we decided to keep going to that for a bit and their singing was dreadful like I, as a kid I just remember the choruses being uplifting you know and like the words actually meaning stuff yeah. so I called up my dad after like a very long time not talking to him I was like hey dad uh, what time does the revival fellowship meeting start and he'd uh, when he picked himself up off of the floor I imagine yeah he was just shocked <laughs> <laughs> but extremely excited about it too yeah and he told me the time i went to the wrong venue at the start because i like it's been so long that i went to the meetings that they changed the hall yeah I remember, yeah yeah so um i didn't get to go to that and i was like oh maybe you know i wasn't meant to go there but then because i owed this guy like ten thousand dollars like i was still just pondering on what i needed to do but i had some prayer about like you know because i didn't have the confidence to go to him and be like look I can't sell any more drugs because, you know, it's against what I believe. Like, it's not right. So I had some prayer about it. Like, you know, Lord, give me the strength to be able to approach this guy and tell him that I'll I'll pay him off with my pay. Like, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to just forget the debt. I just wanted to pay him off slowly. Yeah. But instead, what happened was this guy ended up getting arrested, like within literally a week of me praying about it. Yeah. And now he's in jail for 10 years. You know, I guess in 10 years I'll sort that problem out. But $10,000 would be worth less by then, so... Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> but um, when I found out about that, I told my brother and he was just like, wait, you know, he just couldn't believe it. Yeah. He was like... So that day I decided to stop dealing. So imagine people are still constantly contacting you. Yeah, I still to this day get people asking me. So... And it's been like eight months since mm. that happened. Mm. But um, once we uh, did that, my brother got a, a job I started working full time again and um, you know we started work earning money the proper way you know like yeah. real people do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which has been really good actually because it's a good testimony at work because everyone at work notices the change Yeah, but um, 
after a while, I, I just couldn't go to the Jehovah's Witness Church anymore. Like, they have, like, a, a Bible study book, which is just rubbish. Like, you know, they still have scriptures, which aren't rubbish, but the way that they sort of interpret them is just, it's wrong. But um, I finally built up the uh, courage to um, go to the Revival Fellowship meeting, and the funny thing was, me and my brother got into an argument about it that day because he didn't want to go there because he thought he was going to get judged and he was a very self-conscious person. So I was like, look, I'll just go by myself and I'll let you know how it goes. So I went there. Um, no one recognised me, which was good because it had been, what, like nine years since yeah. I'd last went. Yeah, you'd gone from being a boy yeah. to a man, right? Yeah. So. so I just sort of sat at the back, you know, and then sort of enjoying the talk. And then when it came to the communion, like... All, everyone thought I was new, so it was really good. But um, when it came to the communion, it was uh, sort of like, oh, yeah, I forgot that this is, like, you know, a, a thing that they do on the Sundays. And then when it came to the spiritual gifts, like, what they said, like, the interpretation, like, it just really hit home for me, and I just started crying, and, like, they were all handing me tissues and stuff, and I just, like, I felt really at home, you know? Like, all my emotions just decided to go, all right, that, time to let it out and yeah. uh, become happy again because mm. this whole time I was miserable mm. like you know I just kept trying to fill a hole with yeah, synthetic stuff like yeah. you know possessions that you know now I realise aren't important to me like I'm that person that I'm not attached to anything mm. the only thing I care about is my bible and it's bible cover yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. um, it just felt really at home I got home and told my brother all about it like because we're close again now like so I told him all about it, and he was really excited. And he's like, "What? So they didn't even say anything to you? They didn't judge you or anything?" I was like, "No, no. You were gonna go next week, you know." So um, we just kept going, and since then, like, I might have had a few weird looks about the tattoos, but that's understandable because a lot of them are a bit younger, and yeah. you know, they're still yet to realise that people make mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, I do have a, a stupid tattoo of the Revival Fellowship symbol, yeah. and at the time, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to come back to the meetings. Yeah. But, you know, hindsight's funny because I think now that I have to live with this on the rest of my life, it's going to be one of those things where people go, is that the Revival Fellowship? I'm like, yeah. It's not the best look, but, mm. you know, I made that stupid decision when mm. I was 18 to yeah. do all that stuff. Yeah. But, um... And so here you are. Yeah. At Christmas camp, hanging out with a bunch of churchy people. Probably yeah. completely different from where you would have been this time last year. Well, yes, I was yeah. at a Psytrance party last year. Yeah. And um, I've got to say that I enjoy myself more here than I did there. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And your brother's at uh, the Anglesey Church camp that we've got down yeah. at, uh, in Victoria. Yeah, mm. and I'm, I can imagine that he's enjoying himself. Yeah, I'll bet. Which is uh, good. I think now that I've, like, you know, sort of gone through all this, like, I was questioning why it all happened. Mm. But... I I personally think that if I'd have stayed in the fellowship my whole life, like, I could have just been that seat warmer, you know? Like, as it says, like, don't be lukewarm. Like, I, I really do think that I would be lukewarm because mm. I would have just taken what I had for granted, but, like, I have the appreciation of what I have because I had to go through a lot of traumatic stuff and to realise that what I had as a kid was actually special and not just, like, always there. Mm. One of the things, I mean, I've grown up myself, you know, in the fellowship uh, since I was, uh, you know, since I was a young kid, 
And I think there's always that risk for anything if you don't you know, really throw yourself and immerse yourself in, it just becomes familiarity. Uh, and we all need different things to slap us around sometimes to really wake us up from, from that and actually realise this is real, this is good, this is amazing. You know, when we throw ourselves into it, we, we see amazing things happen. And uh, maybe for you, you just had, yeah, you just had to be slapped more. a bit harder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a really slow learner. I, you know, I had to be uh, thrown into the deep end to realise that, you know, I don't know how to swim. Mm. It's good. Man, it's a great story to... And to see you back, right, and so positive and so involved is really, really cool. Because there are others that don't make it back, um, which is uh, which is sad. Uh, yeah, I know a few friends that are yeah. left the meetings because yeah. I honestly expected to sort of see all the people that I grew up with. Mm. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. But here you are. It's all about your walk, so that's brilliant. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Mate, thanks for uh, on the last day of your trip to Adelaide. Thanks for sharing... Uh, sharing his story with us. That's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Good on you. I look forward to uh, catching up with you in Bendigo sometime. Yep. Cool. Well, wasn't that just a roller coaster of a story? I can only imagine where Alec would be now had he not turned back to God. What a gracious God that we do have. If you want to know more about how God can transform your life, visit www.therevivalfellowship.com. Until next time, God bless.